Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good morning. This is Trey. Stephanie uh, is helping to uh, move in a couple of our children. Well, move in one and then and then pack for the other. So we'll have two in college uh, pretty soon. Uh, and so, I mean, in class, I guess. And um, it, we're getting old, man. Yeah. Uh, so she, she asked for... Uh, me and Thaddeus to to handle it today, and that's that's great. So, I am honored to get to hold down yeah, the fort with you. I'm glad that you're Stephanie's here. Absence. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, I know thank you're you. Out. you yeah, I was on, good on vacation. The, have fun with family and everything. It was great. It wasn't just absolutely great. It wasn't 190 percent humidity in Colorado. No, no, it was wonderful. <laughs> we were up in the mountains for a good part of the uh, nine days that we were there. Man, jealous, and jealous. It's but, never long enough. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad you're back, and I, <clears throat> I, I've only spent a couple summers in in Colorado during the summer, and all I know is that I need to get back because it, it, as I recall, it felt very nice compared to what we experience here. So yeah, and, uh, and just being with my my mother and father and my sister, uh, some of my seeing my extended family, I wasn't able to see some of my my buddies this time and their families, but that's okay. We'll do it do the next time I'm out there. So Yeah. Well, and it's always good to get away. And so. my parents just love having my children around. I bet they did. Um so it's it's hard when when they it have dry. to leave. Yeah. Well God bless us all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll start with our prayer. Uh in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family in Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Family in Nazareth, pray Pray for for us. St. John Paul II, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So um, we were going to talk today um, about baptism. And, I, and I, you know, I don't think it's Catholics because so much of our faith revolves around the sacraments, and I believe sac- the sacraments are misunderstood by our Protestant brothers and sisters in terms of how, how they work. And given the fact that this show is by name mystery, um, the mystery of parenthood is, is building off the idea of sacrament because sacrament sacramentum in Latin, uh, is mysterion in great in, uh, Greece in Greek, Greece, goodness, uh, don't mind me. Um, and so say, say that one more time. So sacramentum, the word from which we get sacrament in Latin, it's Greek translation is mysterion, which is the word from which we get mystery. So those two, in fact, when you go to mass, you'll hear, you know, mysteries, uh, used quite frankly, you know, prepared, you know, for the mysteries that we see. You'll, you'll sacred mysteries, sacred mysteries. You'll, you'll, you'll hear that. And what that means is that there's, there are visible signs or tangible signs, signs that we as in our humanness and in our bodily uh, form 
can experience, uh, can sense with our eyes, with our ears, with our noses, with whatever. But, but we believe that it's more than just the symbolic, that in fact, in and through the sacraments, Christ makes himself present to us. He gives himself to us in that, and that they um, are efficacious, what the church would say, that the, the sacraments bring about what they symbolize because Jesus is at work, the Holy Spirit is at work really and truly through those sacraments. And of course, there's the seven sacraments, sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. There's the sacrament of holy orders and the sacrament of holy matrimony. And then there's reconciliation and penance and the anointing of the sick. Um, I get them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just double checking. You know what's funny is I, I don't think I, I don't think if you'd asked me that thirty years ago I would have been able to list all seven. Um, but it's fundamental to being Catholic to understand that God has given us these these sources of objective grace that that we can count on the grace being made available to us, and that that grace is efficacious, that it lifts us up. It, it actually makes us capable to do that, which we, we couldn't do without it, not magically, but by our cooperation with that grace. And we can know that, um, that it's available to us. We know that. It's not that we feel like, we don't have to feel that. We just know because Christ has given these, he instituted these sacraments for that purpose. And so I think it's always healthy as Catholics to go back and and look at maybe how they're attacked by Protestants, but maybe just to look at what are we really believing in and through those sacraments? What are they trying to um, make real in our own lives um, through our participating in them? So Yeah, and this came to my mind to want to do this with you, Trey, and have you comment on it because— on Robin's side of the family this last weekend, we were uh, down in her hometown, and we had a second cousin, and we had a nephew baptized. Oh, wow. And not everyone that was there in attendance was um, Catholic. S- some were not. They were. There were different levels of... Um, Catechesis probably there in the right. in the church, um, and so I I think it's always good to when you when you find yourself in a situation like that, um, it makes you want to be able to, you think to yourself, boy, you know how, what do I say if I'm asked, well, why are we doing this anyway, or what's yeah. what's even going on here? What with the water he's pouring the water, sure he's pouring the water on him, he's putting the oil on him, and he's wearing the white garment, and okay, he's you know he's not he's a he's a good baby now and before he was a bad baby you know there's some there's, there's a lot so of there a lot of misperceptions that people have there's a lot of just lack of clarity lack of understanding that people have through no fault of their own sometimes through fault of their own um so i thought it would be good to you know let's let's go and revisit baptism and what's happening there and I happened to find a recent article from Carlo Broussard on CatholicAnswers.com, and just as a jumping-off point, he he writes this little article on Protestants. It's important to them, these concepts of justification, sanctification. And those are two separate things, and they're, in many ways, they're miles apart. And for Catholics, we we have those concepts in our theology too, um, but they don't function the same way, or rather I should say, Protestants have them function differently than the way that they do function. Right, and I think that's, I so, mean... And I so how's that, how's that in operation in, in baptism? Maybe right, I think it's there. really, really important to do that. I I would always challenge, if you listen to the to the liturgy that's associated with baptism there's so much there biblically biblically um 
that I think if you brought a if you brought a about a serious Protestant, I mean somebody who's really on fire to to a baptism, um, they at least would probably be wowed by the fact that there are so many references to so many major biblical events. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, from uh, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, down through you know everything through history through that. So. I think part of it is always we need to understand it, but often if you get go to one, if you'll just pay attention to what, what the priest is, you know, reading, some do better than others in terms of how doing it. Father Mike Sip Bishop Mike Sis, I can remember my grandmother um being there for for Trevor's baptism and her just being wowed by the fact that he how well he made it so evident and connecting all those dots using what the church provided, but doing it in a way that was not just merely reading it. It was just reading it, but he read it carefully. He read it with under, you know, where you could understand what was being said and not just rambling through it. Not that I've ever heard anybody do that. I just remember that the church gives us so much to chew on if we'll just listen um, so much to learn if we'll just listen. But, but I, I, like I said, when, when Thaddeus brought this up, I thought, Hey, this would be, this would be great. I mean, um, it, it is, there's so much foundational to, um, our Christianity, um, to Catholicism that, that comes to bear and is worthy of discussion as a result of what we believe about baptism from original sin to what grace accomplishes to, I mean, all of those things. So justification, sanctification, et cetera. But yeah. So Carlo Broussard, he quotes 1989 in the catechism that this is from the, um, and that's the catechism quoting the council of Trent quote, justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. And then Broussard goes on and says, but Protestants argue that justification doesn't include interior renewal, a view sometimes referred to as metaphysical righteousness. Uh, And instead, what happens in their view is that basically Jesus' righteousness is imputed onto the human being. And kind of a shorthand would be that the Father sees Jesus when he looks at a human being who um, has faith right. and not sees the human himself. Well, I mean, that right there, I think, is, is an important... The, the point about that, that they don't believe that it, that it includes interior renewal. Right. Because we say there's a real interior change. We, it, I had a professor that taught sacrament sacramental theology that said and this is how he said it if we could see what actually occurs at the moment of baptism it would be more amazing than the greatest than anything we can imagine more awe-inspiring than a nuclear bomb going off a it's there's nothing that we could compare to what happens in the at the moment of baptism because the original sin and and everything that comes along with that is blotted out. It's it's taken away, and so we become a new creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, I, and just as an aside, the concept of original sin, you know, that's tied back to the sacrament of marriage, the right. marriage covenant, the fact that God makes man and woman, husband and wife makes them co-creators with him in bringing forth new life. He doesn't just he doesn't reach down every time and um, make every human being ex nihilo from from nothing. Right. He makes them he he the the flesh, the mortal flesh of the two yes. coming together uh, is joined for lack of a better word with that immortal soul and you have a human being and those two who who bring their mortal flesh into that creation of a new person, that's 
that's all tied in with centuries and millennia of right. That's how I mean. It's failing, how failings and and sin and mistakes and groanings and yeah, we take seriously. It, it goes it goes back to the fact that the Catholics. You know, as I've said before, our professor said to be Catholic is to be punchable. We take serious the body. I mean, everything revolves and comes to us in and through the body. And so original sin is passed from human beings, in, not, not as something that they've done or something that comes from without, but actually is, I don't know if the right word, I can't give you the right technical word, but but through the propagation of the of the species, mm-hmm. that's where it comes from, mm-hmm. um, and so that shows us how serious we take the body. That what Adam and Eve did and the sin that originated with them impacted us so much that it still impacts us today, um, and that that's original sin, not something that we chose, unlike actual sin, but original sin mm-hmm. and it's something that God restores. He brings right. us back to that to that um state at least or at least removes the original sin that's been passed down through the generation of right. our species. Now and I'm just coming up with this here off the top of my head, so please correct me after I get if it I out. Can. But I think and then in that case, that's where the resurrected body of Christ is is helpful and say statuary or imagery of the resurrected body. What is Christ resurrected? It's glorified. It's it's transformed. It's it's alive again. Right. It's it's living at the highest pitch possible on on this planet. What does it have? He has wounds in his hands and his feet. He has wounds. The wound in his side. And a lot of stature, he's still carrying that cross, that instrument of torture, but it's tiny. It's small. Well, I think, and what happens to us in baptism is basically those bond, those bonds and chains of original sin, they're snapped, they're broken, but we're still, we still feel the effects of those, or we're still forced right. to reckon with the effects of those as we go through our life, but we're not bound by them, we're not... Um, compromised by them, right? And and, and Jesus provides well, guilty guilty from them. You might say, yeah, I mean, yeah. Jesus provides right. that. I mean, we have to remember we are like Jesus was, as Vatican II says, but the Church has always taught is the perfect man. He he shows right. us what man separate from sin is capable of doing of being. Um, he's not a superhuman in his humanity. He is human like us, separate from sin. In and through this week, when we when we celebrate the assumption of Mary, body and soul into heaven, and the queenship of Mary, when she's coronated, you know, becomes the queen of heaven and earth, that points us to that that this idea of sin, us being separated from sin is something that is meant for us. It's meant for us, ultimately, and that it's not just, it has just, I don't, I don't like saying it that way, but I'm going to say it this way. It's not just that we're going to go to heaven when we die and are separated from our bodies. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, that we, that we as humans, that God is going to restore our humanity in its fullness when he comes again, meaning that we will be reunited with our bodies because that's what we were made to be that's what it means to be human um so we're not trying to escape our bodies we're not trying jesus shows us that we shouldn't try to escape our bodies and that in fact the stuff that we do that the i love the fact that he comes back with the nail marks that they see him with the the wounds in his side because that shows us Yet another teaching of the church that that, suf- that suffering has meaning. It, it's actually part of his glory is that he was able to go through life, accept 
the evil that was allowed to come his way as the will of the Father for the sake of the other, and that, that, that when he was risen, it's not that that goes away, not that it's blotted out. He doesn't come back as a superhero with just muscles and nothing. He actually comes back pointing to that. And in, he says when Judas leaves at the Last Supper, he will say, glorify me. I now am glorified. So that the, the part of his glorification in his humanity is actually all that he's, all of his passion all the way through because he's accepting what God the Father is asking of him. And we have to remember that, that we're not going to come back as these super, you know, superhumans that, that are, God's going to point to his ability to do great things in us by when we are risen from the dead, resurrected, and hopefully part of the, um, the saved crowd, that we will have those markers on our body that are, hey, he bore this by accepting God's grace and being able to, to bear those right. wounds, and that that's part of the glorification. Right. It's part of God pointing to see what can happen when you're open to my grace. Even that, I'm not, you're, you can, even that you can bear for the sake of, I, I just think that's really important for us to remember that, that that is part of what it means to be Catholic is that there is no meaningless suffering um, and, and that heaven is not a, just a getting away from that or like dismissing that or see that, but it's actually the fact that we're able to be strengthened to live through it um, and come out on the other side bearing those as kind of the marks of our willingness to uh, go with God's will, even if it hurts, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway. And Broussard, he, mo- he moves on and he, he quotes uh, from Psalm 32, verse 2, one of David's psalms about how blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not reckon his sin. And this Greek word that's used for reckon is logizomai. You can kind of hear maybe logic in there. And um, for example, this idea of reckoning sin, Broussard says it's used often in the scriptures for evaluation, a mental uh, calculation of, of something. And he makes the point that in this psalm, and then in Psalm 51, 7, where David says that he was made clean and whiter than snow, that these are good um, indicators of what's really going on. That the, uh, he says, quote, the objective guilt of those sins had been removed. God's reckoning was an evaluation that correctly corresponded to the objective reality of that which was being reckoned. He's saying, he's, Broussard's arguing this in opposition to a Protestant understanding of Romans 4.3, that when Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and that, and that will often be used to say uh, Jesus' righteousness is being placed in kind of the balance against the... Um, What's the Calvin the, the Calvinist term for um, the depravity? Okay, total depravity of, of the of the human being, right? Right. That and, can't that can't be and that and that's really wiped th- out. So I've always this is Trey Cash and theology, not necessarily the Catholic Church theology, but I, I, I think it it echoes things at the heart of it. I've always said that you really, if you believe that the devil and us can can take what God has made and, and God is not able to restore to its original sense, then, then he's not much of a God. Um, God wanted to restore it, and therefore he is going to overcome what the devil tr- attempted to do, which is disfigure humanity in and through sin, and what, what we succumb to and what Adam and Eve succumb to at that at that time when they when they doubted 
that God is actually coming back and do it. I always had a teacher say, and I, I think I had two, Father Mitch, and, and hopefully I'm doing justice, don't, no pun intended, justify, mm-hmm. justify has to do with being made made straight, like, like we were bent over, um, crippled, so to speak, and that justification makes us stand to right again. You know, makes us being able to be um, straightened, and that God is actually coming back and saying, "I know what happened then, and I'm going to make it make it right." Jesus is going to assume the fullness of all of what it is to be human. We 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 have to go back to that. Jesus is the perfect man, not a demigod, the perfect man. He's also perfect God. That's, that's, that's another mystery. It's hard to grasp, but he's a hundred percent man, a hundred percent God. And because he assumed our nature fully and completely separate from sin, he redeems us. He buys us back. He overcomes and undoes that which was done in the garden so many years ago. That's why it bothers the devil so much. If, if, if we're utterly depraved, I mean, I would got to think, well, I've kind of, you know, the devil would be thinking, I've, I've kind of got this one. I mean, because I screwed up creation. And no, <laughs> he did because of our cooperation with, but what Jesus did was he came back and redeemed humanity. He, he, he bought back what humanity was meant to be. Because he, the only thing that separates us is sin. So what did he do? He died to blot out sin. He died to give us the sacraments that we need, including baptism and reconciliation and penance and every other grace that we need to overcome our sinfulness and to be sure that when we sin, we can always cast ourselves back on God's mercy asking him to forgive us so that we become more and more like Jesus, more and more like him. And that's, I just think it's, I've always thought that what a sad world to think that what happened in the garden somehow distorted us forever. <laughs> um, that's, that's a Trey Cashin. That's a, that's a sad state of affairs. And if you really think about it, 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 it means that God isn't God or he doesn't love us that much because it, he would allow that he would allow us to become less than we were created to be that would mean I, there would be some limitations on his love, but instead he is pouring it out so much in a Catholic way. I think it's exciting. It's like, I want you changed. I'm going to provide you everything. So much so that I'm going to ask you to cooperate with me. I'm not going to just do it and then it's over. I want you to cooperate with me. So I'm going to give you everything you need. All you need to do is when you sin is recognize it, turn back to my mercy, go to the graces that are available and through the um, reconciliation and penance, and then go back out and try to battle again with the help of my grace, but you're going to fall again. And so I provided the fact that you can go back. And I think it's beautiful that this whole journey of life is our cooperation with it. Our dignity is so great that God is not going to just do it for us. In a sense, he has done it for us. I mean, this is where you always get the both and part of it. I mean, the only way we can be saved, the only way we get to heaven, the only way we become saints that we're created to be is because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because he assumed, assumed our humanity fully and completely. The second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son, assumed our humanity completely and wholly and separate from sin, showed us what humanity is meant to do and meant to be, and then accomplished that or provided that to us as a gift, dying for our sins, offering us, redeeming us as a race, buying us back 
from, from the devil, in a sense, redeeming us, and then entrusting to us, hey, you've got something to do. I'm going to provide you everything you need to overcome sin, and you can become more and more holy, more and more like me in and through daily life. I think, you, I think you've hit on something that ties into parenting in our office as parents. Right. And there's a certain cleansing action that a redeeming action that goes on when a child does wrong uh, sins and you as the parent have to stand there and um, you have that role of bringing them back into the fold and really kind of as you say winning their heart again but but through talking with them, counseling them, hearing from them why they did what they did, um, there's this ability to um, wash away, take away what what they did, and there's a there's a sense in which the parent kind of can go to the mat for the the kid by. Giving of giving of their own heart and themselves in trying to help that child learn from the mistake that was made, be you know truly sorry for the for the right. the mistake that was made, and for that that children that child to know that they are really forgiven and that that mistake is still there in the past, and they are going to carry it with them forward in the sense of that they are going to. You know they're going to be shaped. They're going to be shaped by going through that fire, right? That refiner's fire, so to speak. Right. But it's not. It's not an indelible mark on their soul that they're going to right. constantly be burdened by that. But in fact, they're renewed. They're brought back into the circle of love and the family, and that and they move forward stronger. Well, so, so you look at so you look at what we just talked about, what God did for His family and for His children, right? I mean, He He calls us we're adopted sons of God, but we're we're we are children of God. And how does He treat us? He does not let us stay in our in our sinfulness. He He convicts us. So as parents, we need to challenge our children to that. But the lie is, and what's often, and and it's I think at least in part, part of the unforgivable sin is it's that God has revealed himself as mercy. Anybody who turns themselves back to God can do that. So we got to teach our children that the answer is, if I've failed, you can always come back to mom or dad or mom and dad and know that you will be forgiven, that you will have that. You'll always be brought back into it. And that as parents, as parents, I think it's, essential to parenting to teach them that they have such dignity that they are called to cooperate with God and with us in them becoming everything they're meant to be. So you have to you have to talk to them about God has a plan for your life. God loves you. We love you. Our job is to help discern what your graces, I mean what your gifts are, discern by your personalities and stuff. And then just like God, correct as a go, lift up, allow you to experience some things as well, because that directs you. Can, God is not a helicopter parent, <laughs> always there, but sometimes allows us to go and fall, right? Why? So, because there's part of learning in that. So parents are not meant to hover over their children, but they are meant to kind of, we're not God, so we can't. We're not omniscient and we can't bring back to life. So our job is to do everything we can to protect them. But at some point, sometimes the answer is to allow them to experience a failure or um, and just learn from that. So we're meant to be outward signs and um, kind of mirrors to the best of our ability with our limited fallen sinful selves of what God is trying to do with our, with our child. So, so you're, you're dead on, I think, with regard to the fact that, that 
from a parenting standpoint, we need to look at what God has done and recognize that, you know, he, sometimes we're going to have the skin knee and that's fine, but they, sometimes they're going to, um, not obey us, but they've got to know that no matter what, if they show contrition, if they're truly sorry that they can always come back to us, there's never a time that they could do anything that would, would ever separate us. Yeah. And so, now we're kind of moving, we're kind of yeah. stepping, we've got one foot sort of in baptism and one foot, it sounds like, maybe in reconciliation. And those right. two sacraments are linked, definitely. But in the time we have left, kind of, yeah, keep. let's talk to us, Trey, about what do, the things that baptism affects. So one of the, one of the big things is that it, it, it makes us, all human beings are children of God. Right. But what baptism does is it makes us members of the body of Christ. It makes us, you know, brothers and sisters of Jesus. What, what's the what's the difference between those two things? It gives us access to salvation, right? Right, access to salvation. You 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 know you have access to the Father um, and to the Holy Spirit, being one um, with Christ. You're you're united with Him in a very real way. Um, I think that that's important. We we again take seriously the union that occur that has occurred. In fact, the reading this coming Sunday is going to include Ephesians five, and in Ephesians five, you're going to have reference to the mystery that is Christ and His church, and that the husband and the wife are meant to mirror that that union, but that the two become one flesh. We take seriously the fact that the church that exists, the Catholic Church. Um, is the bride of Christ it, with all of its problems. And that as the bride of Christ, she is responsible for guiding and directing her children. Um, I, I lost where you, where you had, had gone with that, but I, but, but I think it's important to remember that we really take seriously the fact that the church that exists, that is visibly present in this world that calls itself the Catholic church with all of the sinners that are in it <laughs> and with all the saints is really the bride of Christ. And that we are you and me, Thaddeus and, and, and all of our, are members of that body as St. Paul talks about. And that, that being united with him, because there's a sense in which, and you got to be careful about how you say this, but there is a sense in which when we, in, in the Mass, when we say through him, with him, and in him, we're basically we're offering Jesus and we're uniting ourselves together with him, and that ability to unite ourselves with him is makes entrance through baptism, and that God, in a sense, does see Jesus and us united with him, and that's what saves us. We we're, We cannot be saved separate from what Jesus has accomplished. Right. We can't work our way to heaven. That right. is not a Catholic teaching. We can't just do good and say, hey, I just did good, when in fact what we're meant to do is take our good, unite it with what Jesus did perfectly, and then offer that. So there is a sense in which the Father is looking down kind of through Jesus <laughs> at us as we become one with him. So that's what makes baptism so special is we become part of that his body at that point. Um, and, anyway. Yeah, and I think the priest who said Mass for us when we were in Colorado, I was we were chatting with him for quite a long time, actually, after Mass, and he said something that has stuck with me, that really everything comes down to eschatology. That is, the, what, what's going to happen at the end of time, the four last things, heaven, hell, yeah. um, death, and... The judgment. Judgment. Excuse yep. me. And in a sense, you know, that's really what baptism is connected to. Yes. It's, it's the sacrament that happens at the very beginning of life, and it's a sacrament of initiation, but it's not a sacrament of initiation into some earthly club. It's not about you have to, d to do this so that you can, you know, be a part of this, this social group, this social network that's on um, planet Earth. It's about... You do you do this because that's what gets you 
that that's that's what your salvation is is dependent upon. Now, of course, God can work outside of the ordinary means that He's established to yes. provide His salvation, but that's what people are. That's what people come to the church asking for when they want baptism is they they want access to salvation. They want to be. They want to be able to, or they're saying that they want to live in communion with the God who created everything and who revealed himself through this man, Christ, for all eternity in heaven. They want to look upon his face, right. as they say. Right, and that's, and that's, and that's one and of those— And that's really profound that the sacrament that's at the beginning of life is most intimately connected with what happens at the end of life and on the other side of life here on earth. Well, right, and that's and that's really because the primary sign, the highest that water is meant to signify. Well, that was we, a loud we like motorcycle. We, we, <laughs> we use we think of water as cleansing. We think of water as uh, nourishing, or right, or, and that's or, the you know, matter of baptism. That's right? the matter of baptism. I think it's important. Every every sacrament has a matter, matter and, form. and form. Matter, and then the words that are necessary for it to to be and then you have to have the proper minister. Yeah. Baptism can be delivered by anybody um in, extre- e- in extreme in extreme right? in extreme yeah I mean normally um it's going to be a priest or a deacon. Right. Um but in in an, in an extreme situation it, if you were on an island by yourself with a an atheist and and you were going to die and you hadn't been baptized yet and you were convicted to be baptized that atheist even without them believing could baptize you i mean that's how you could ask them to baptize that's how you. important the church says it does not want to deny or provide too many barriers to one's reception of it that's that's how important you know we get dinged for being you know rule people and and we are under ordinary circumstances but not so much as to you you want to receive it, but you can't receive it because you can't baptize yourself. I mean, which again, you know, communicates the fact that we are in in community with in community with one another. But I wanted to point out that one of the one of the um, so I mean, listen to this. It says, "Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death." We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Most of us think of, of the water as being all those things, but the reality is water can be deadly too. <laughs> and it, so it does, it does represent the death. We're being baptized into the death because it is the death of Jesus willing the going along with God's will that is our salvation. Yeah, Yeah. so the, the Catechism even says, 1214, the sacrament is called baptism from the Greek baptizein, meaning to plunge or immerse. It's the plunge into the water of uh, symbolizing the catechumen's burial into Christ's death from which he rises up by resurrection with him as a new creature. So associate that word baptism with the plunge. Right, we were, I would guess plunging, being buried. Mm-hmm. And so if you finish that sentence, this is Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's this great association of becoming one with Christ in his death with the understanding that in walking with him that and in that newness of life that we would we will be resurrected and that we will experience the glory of, of heaven but it's baptism is the gateway into that right baptism is the entrance into being a member of his body a member of his church a, a member of God's family in the strictest sense in 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 the sense of the ones that will be saved. Right, and that's why the vast majority of non-Catholic Christians, they baptize with water, they baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the right. which is the form, 
and that's why those baptisms are valid. Absolutely, and so Catholic that's what Church. they don't know. As long as we, we, the Catholic Church accepts, as long as we know those baptisms, because they're valid, they're not going to rebaptize you. They may do right. a provisional one if they, if, if say a parent or whoever says, I don't remember what happened. But if they're say if they're Episcopalian or Lutheran, where they have a liturgical rite, and the and the person was baptized in that high likelihood, so high that they wouldn't provisionally baptize, that it was with water on the head or or plunged in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Mm-hmm. Those words being said, they would not rebaptize you. Right. And that's so if you go to a, if you go to the vigil, you'll see those that are already baptized. They're not bringing them back there to baptize. Right. So we take seriously the fact that doesn't have to be a particular person who baptizes. It has to be that somebody received water on the head, not any other sort of thing, but water on the head uh, or were plunged, and that I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit per the Great Commission, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, um, again, that's the way we think about baptism. It's not... It's not um, it's not something that we, uh, I don't know, rule to death. We will not rebaptize. And then in the five minutes or so we have left, we, we could spend a lot more time on this topic, but let's come back to kind of where we started from with this idea of baptism's initiation, and it's the gateway to salvation, and it remits Original, original sin. sin. It erases original sin. And what does that mean, and how does that fit together with the fact that we all know we still sin after we're baptized? Well, What's we still live in a there? fallen world, and and so this again is always that tension that that has to be that the truth is we are not utterly depraved. The creation is still good, and we as humans still have goodness in there. Not perfectly good, but but we have this word concupiscence, disordered passions that we still have to battle with the only way we can effectively battle with them is in and through the graces that are provided through prayer through the eucharist through reconciliation and penance all of those things which are only available to us because of the baptism that we've that we've received and so i think it's it's important to remember that we're not we still are living in and have choices to make and decisions to make, and we have to evaluate our um, what we choose to do or choose not to do in light of what God's truth is about who we are and what we're called to do. So when I was hungry, you fed me. Are we doing, are we doing that day to day? I mean, we're taking seriously what Christ revealed. We're taking seriously what we're called to, what's wrong, what's right, what are the things that we should do, and that we are called and actually will receive, we will, we will be judged based on what we do in cooperation with God's grace. We are not earning God's grace. <laughs> we are not, um, I think that's one of the things we get. We can be, say that we have to do something without saying that we're working our way into heaven. We're not. We're cooperating. Anything that we do that is good, that has merit, is only good and is only possible because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us and the fact that he gave us grace and truth, truth to gauge our actions by, our thoughts, words, and deeds by, and the grace to either forgive us when we, go pat, when we don't do it, when we don't live up to the truth, or the grace um, to actually do something we couldn't do without it. Right. And t- in today's world, the church Catholics are in a, between a Scylla and Charybdis. They're between a rock and a hard place because we have non-Catholic Christians on the one side saying faith alone, it's not works don't matter at all, which you just addressed. Right. On the other side, we have non-religious se- secular atheist types who basically say works alone, faith doesn't matter. As long as you're a good person, as long as you do right by everyone— Right. That's that's all that matters, and surely a good 
merciful God is going to, you know, let everyone right. go to heaven. So there's this sort of assumed belief in what we would call universalism. And <laughs> the the Catholic both and we're saying, no, it's both. Right. And, and the, each of those is an extreme position. Right. And it's only one side of the coin. But but Catholics are not saying that our works are getting us into heaven. What What it is saying is that Jesus died to provide us with the graces we need to be able to go and, if need be, die for Jesus. <laughs> if if need be, get up in the middle of the night and change the diaper. Whatever it is, he's that the graces that come are what elevate our nature and allow us to to bear the wounds that Christ had. You know, to to be able to do the things that are difficult and hard that we're called to in duty that's good, true, and beautiful, but sometimes painful, that the grace allows us to do that. And that's all available only in and through the church for most of us. God's not bound by by that, as you've said, but we have to, um, we as Catholics have to live, try to live that way, recognizing that we are bound to what God has revealed. And so we have the bark of Peter. It's it's the right. surest way, even if the pilot is sometimes right. in error on the course he's going. Uh, there's holes in in it. The sails are frayed. Well, the good news is, is we we're a church of sinners, and mm-hmm. and so all are welcome. <laughs> there's there's not like okay, you got to get just holy enough to do this. Yeah. I mean, and so baptism is the way in. Um, anyway, I'll let's we'll do six. We'll do. Um, Romans six four as the as the verse today we were buried therefore with him and bap- by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father we too might walk in the newness of life, and so remember pray, parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you and He will. God bless. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.